And I think that's where I, I came to realize that a lot of what I was doing wasn't, didn't even have to do with my intention so much as what I'd kind of automatically set up, you know, are these contexts or these social situations or, you know, these things that are, we think about our will being, you know, really important or, or choosing things. But a lot of time it's just, we're in a certain place that we've repeatedly done the same thing over and over and you just, you get there and you do it. Everybody's got an addiction. Mine just happens to be my phone. I pull it out of my pocket, start swiping on Instagram, check the news, check my email, put it back in my pocket. Five minutes later, I pull my phone out of my pocket, I swipe, and I repeat. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing, I'm just wired into this routine. This wasn't a habit I've always had. I picked it up over time and over various situations that I found myself in. It would be awesome if I could just get rid of this nasty habit. I'd be able to spend so much more time enjoying where I am with my family or friends or even just giving myself more time to reflect. But I have no clue how to start. I can sometimes feel so addicted to my habits, I can't even think about changing them. Welcome to another Epidose of Serotonin, where we tune into stories from policy experts, social entrepreneurs, and other change makers on how we can use positive design to build resilience in our communities and improve our well-being. I'm Korean Thomas, and today on the show, my guest is going to help us learn how we can build healthy and sustainable habits and routines using methods grounded in science and mindfulness practices. His name is David Lagner. He's the founder of the Habit Institute, and today on the show, he walks us through how to make habit formation, habit breaking, much easier by leveraging a more conscious system for behavior change. David's approach is grounded in neuroscience and psychology and emphasizes evidence-based habit building techniques combined with mindfulness-based practices. His graduate research focused on Eastern and Western habit formation theories, and he founded two small businesses and a former program manager at the Mind and Life Institute. He's also currently leading financial habits for the Community Investment Collaborative, supporting under-resourced entrepreneurs. We begin our show discussing the misconceptions people have about habits, and David also suggests specific ways to make good habits more attractive and easier to obtain, and making bad habits less attractive and easier to shake. We end our conversation discussing why you should take into account your unique personality when you craft your habits. So without further ado, here's David. So what kind of started you on this journey about habit building and habit breaking? At the time, I was a little bit you know, disillusioned with some of the kind of drinking culture and social culture in undergrad and wanted to get a little bit you know, more healthy or a little more consistent meditation practice. I was looking at the health benefits of that. And so that kind of drew out over the, the following years of going and working after, after undergrad. And so just really testing with my own experience, what affected habits, you know, how I could make things more automatic. I, I was clear that some behaviors and some parts of my life did align with my intentions, but some didn't. As a college student, David was just going through the motions as most college students do with schoolwork, relationships, jobs, and friendships. But then he realized that he was living his life on autopilot. He wasn't being conscious about what he was doing. Eventually, I came around in my master's to really be able to dig in and look at, okay, what does psychology you know, say? It was, it was kind of a research review. What does modern psychology and, and you know, classical Western psychology say about habits, how they form? And then looking at some of the Eastern philosophies like Buddhism and mindfulness and how 
did they look at habits? What did you learn about the relationship between our mind and our habits? It could be physical or it could be some, you know, something emotional. If you're at work and you start getting stressed or anxious, you might be like, I got to go for a snack break. And what you might actually try to be aware of is, oh, when I get anxious or like really start to feel burned out, you know, I just need a break. So just tuning into, okay, what, what's, what's starting this process, right? Right. And that's a good thing to start with curiosity again, and, and not too much judgment. You just want to come in with like, what's, what's going on here? So we're going to take it back to basics. Could you walk us through what exactly is a habit? How are habits developed? Habits form naturally, right? Whether you intend it or not. And that's a good thing. Um, my, my attempts in, in the way I'm, I try to present this to people is habits can be good, bad, and in between. It's just, they're actually really helpful. If you had to think about exactly how to operate your car every time you went for a drive, you know, all those things are that when you, you know, get on a bicycle, if you really had to think like a lot of conscious thinking, your brain would be extremely inefficient. It'd be like on overheat all the time. So what prompted you to start learning about the relationships between our mind and our habits? I started to look at being able to get a glimpse of what's going on with my habits because you can't really see them as well um, as other things, you know, our intentional thoughts. I started to get this idea that with practicing, say, mindfulness a little bit, that you can pause in certain situations and realize to a little bit of a degree what where you're getting pulled. So if I was going out with friends and I had the intention to to go out and have a mocktail or something instead of drink that night, I get in a situation and realize, wow, I really, I don't, I'm not physically craving this maybe necessarily, but like socially, I just feel like slipping into this, this regular routine and like just noticing like, oh, that's, that's not actually, that has nothing to do with my intentional thoughts. That's just being in this situation. I took a couple tries, but I actually ended up quitting drinking for, I was going to do it for a year. I was like, all right, let's, let's see how this is without, you know, alcohol. I'm still going to go out with friends. I was, you know, 21 years old, um, still social, you know, getting into, you know, relationships and being out with, with people and having a normal life. But I just, I didn't drink. And I, it started off as a year experiment to say, let's see how this is, what this is all about. And it turned into about six years. Wow, six years. As a 21-year-old in college right now, I know how weird it can be to be the only one in the group that isn't going to be drinking. But that process in quitting drinking probably taught you a couple of things, right? You said that you leveraged a couple of tricks that helped you with breaking habits and making new ones. So how, how do you tune into these habits? Breaking it down to the, the simple mechanics. So you're, you want to look for the cue. For instance, when your phone rings, that's a cue. And it's frequently followed by a certain behavior. You look at your phone, you check it, or you don't. It depends on the person, but most people, it, it follows a behavior. So the first kind of process is just becoming aware. Um, you could say maybe becoming mindful of what your, your habit cues are, and then what the response is, and then what is rewarding about that. In the beginning, when habits are first forming, rewards are pretty important. That's kind of how they become more ingrained in us. Over time, that becomes less important, but you want to look out for those cues. 
If you're trying to break a habit, you might be trying to just pick up on when does it start or when do you first feel drawn to do that behavior. With forming a habit, you can actually choose a cue. It's actually really easy to just stack it. In the morning, say, after you finish your coffee or tea or water or whatever you do in the morning, you could, you know, set your running shoes out and put them on as a like micro habit just to start, you know, going for a walk or run or something like that, or same thing after lunch. And then the, the actual habit, you know, if you go out for a run or a short walk, the reward could be that you inherently enjoy it. You pay attention to what's outside. You're like, Oh, I get a little break from, you know, work maybe. And, and you can create some artificial rewards, ideally healthy ones, but over time, those become slightly less important because you just kind of get into the role of, um, Oh yeah, it's morning time. I just finished my coffee. I'm going to go for a quick walk. So you clearly did your own research, working on habits, building them, breaking them either with friends or with family or yourself. So how did those experiences lead you to create the Habit Institute? It took, it took a few years of just experimenting um, in my own life, working. I, I definitely experimented with my own habits, particularly around health, exercise. Eventually, I, I, just, I think I started to tune into how much setting up my own environment. For example, like setting up a small space that was like super comfortable to meditate or to do some like yoga and stretching or setting up a gym in the garage or the basement or something like that. That was, and making it inviting, enjoyable, adding music. But those things really started to impact how consistently I could do something you know, over time and noticing like, Oh, I've been doing this, this kind of new routine for like five or six years now and, and tuning those things. And how did you start tuning them? Eventually I came around to the role of mindfulness. Mindfulness. That's a word that's been thrown out a lot these days. Mindfulness is pretty straightforward. It suggests that the mind is fully attending to what's happening, to what you're doing, to the space you're moving through, to what's going on in your body. That might seem trivial, but except for the fact that we often veer from being conscious throughout our day. Our mind takes flight, we start losing touch with our body, and pretty soon we're engrossed in obsessive thoughts about something that has just happened, or we're fretting about the future. And that can cause anxiety, that can cause depression, causes this thing called rumination where you're completely zoning out. Mindfulness is a basic human ability to be fully present, aware of where we are and what we're doing, and not being overly reactive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. You know, starting with your even your motivation towards mindfulness or towards working in habits, you know, one of my teachers talked about having having kind of a positive motivation from the start is really helpful. So approaching something with curiosity or or the feeling like I wanna I'd like to help myself be a little bit better at something, but coming from a you know, with a little bit of compassion, if you could, self-compassion, or you know, if, if you're really like a hardcore work ethic, like Puritan person, you can at least come at it with like just focusing on willpower and like forcing things to happen and making things happen. Like it doesn't even work you know, for the most time. It does for, for one-time behaviors. For, for really developing long-term habits, you, you want to tap into kind of a different process. You mentioned a different process. What would be an ideal way of beginning a habit? What would be the process for that? I... I love the idea of starting simple with just being able to pause and remembering to pause. 
right? We're, we are packed with schedules, with information, like drinking from a fire hose, taking a moment to, to do that. Even if it's, if you start a mindfulness practice, that's just some simple mindful breathing for a minute in the morning, it could be, and you, you set the time, say after this, I, um, after my tea in the morning, or maybe when I first sit down at the office, I just take count to five breaths, count to 10 breaths. And that can build over time. It seems like there's a lot of different kinds of mechanisms and processes into building a habit and breaking them. But what's the overall goal for these? Like, what is the value add for working on your habits? Uh, where can it take us? Eventually, you don't want a lot of thought in, in your habits, right? Yeah. The idea is to actually outsource them. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I got up this morning to, to go for a run and there was very little thinking. There was very little deliberating. And that's why probably how I got out there, right? Um, if I stopped and, you know, really weighed out the positives and minuses of, of a, you know, going for a run in the morning, I, you know, might not even end up going. Gotcha. So it's really like just kind of getting into the rhythms. I think it's so interesting how we fall into these rhythms and it's just so hard to break out of it. And everything around you supports that. Um, yeah. I mean, if everyone has the the newest or semi newest, you know, iPhone or whatever, and everyone's on their phones, it's like we're so cued to each other as humans. We're just wired to yeah take on those norms or whatever, whether it's drinking or. And I, I'm not against any of these things um, on their own, but I think it really can benefit to to step back even for just a moment. And I really love this idea of being curious. If you're thinking about thinking about a habit or maybe breaking a habit before getting into like judging yourself or judging the outcomes or all that, just being curious about what does it feel like to do it? You know, when you're on your phone swiping, you know, maybe through Instagram or something else kind of endlessly, is it actually satisfying? Are you getting what you intended out of it? You know, if you were going out with friends, I don't know. Are you, are you getting the, the relationships you want? Or are you just kind of like bored and you went out to a bar? Cause you know, you it, like, is it getting you where you want it to go? Cause it's yeah. a Saturday night or a Wednesday night. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what's um, yeah. just being curious without any judgment. And I think that can actually, that that's one of the steps in terms of talking about breaking habits. I think that's really important. That's like easy research. Cause you, you still do it. You can still go out on a, you know, Tuesday or Wednesday night with friends and see like, okay, I actually, you know, maybe you met a, another good friend and maybe it did pan out in a way that you didn't expect. Or maybe it's like, ah, uh, I had this project that I really care about. And I, for some reason I, I ignored it and did this other thing. And like, just kind of like, wonder why. I definitely found myself when I pick up these bad habits, whether it be obsessively checking my phone or not following a self-care routine or not really being giving space in my my schedule they just built more noise in my in my life you know it just created a lot more noise in the sense that I wasn't really spending time quiet time with myself reflecting or really just you know being being in the moment uh, figuring out what I want to do with my life where I am and really just like acknowledging the moment there is that disconnection like you said if we're feeling a little bit of <laughs> or a lot of anxiety or whatever any any like um, uncomfortable emotion or sensation that, yeah, it's, it, it can be an easy way to, whether it's, you know, on your computer, on your phone, to just drown it out. Yeah. Unfortunately, I do think it can just prolong it perhaps like you can kind of quiet that uncomfortable feeling, but it's still on the back burner or sometimes 
leaning into it can actually relieve it. I don't know if you've, you know, I've had conversations, um, you know, with friends and mentors and, and, you know, maybe like just calling out, what are you afraid of? Just saying it out loud sometimes takes away the power of it. But like pretending like it's not there, like not wanting to look at something can be actually the harder you try not to think about something, the more it tends to grow. From your experience, what are some of the most common misconceptions you think people have about building or breaking habits? There's no one set time. It depends on the habit. So if you are trying to do a simple habit, like say after breakfast, you drink a glass of water, that might not take as long. Um, but if you're trying to, you know, maybe do something that's a little bit more complicated, like, you know, get up and drive to the gym, you know, four times a week or something like that, that may take a little longer. And that's really it's more that, okay, so I'm going to have to figure out how to make this habit as easy as possible in the beginning and set up as many support systems as possible to, to hold that. The, the biggest misconception or myth um, is about the role of kind of willpower, self-discipline, and, and mainly intentions. There's this, this real disconnect in, in reality of how habits work between our intentions, you know, our conscious intentions and what we normally do, which I don't know when I say it out loud, it, it seems kind of odd, right? Like we feel like we're, we're in control. We have, we have all this thinking, like our, our minds are incredible thinking machines, right? Doesn't that get reflected in our, in our habitual behaviors? And it's really a process. It's two different systems. So in the beginning, your intentions are important, right? Having goals is, is really important to get you started and having some, some reward or finding something rewarding, even if it's just a little bit of like healthy pride and like, I'm doing this good thing. You know, I feel better after. Over time, the intentional mind is really not involved. It's really about context, like what you're doing in a specific environment repeatedly. I was joking around with my sister once that whenever I personally practice mindfulness, I get into this really good rhythm. I get into this really good flow state where I'm completely conscious about what I'm doing. I'm, I'm balanced. I don't feel anxious. I can do a lot of stuff. But then when I'm in that really nice state of mind, I tend to layer on so many activities, so many events, so many meetings with friends, family, uh, you know, career opportunities that I find myself back into that circle of being overwhelmed. So how do you how do you create that balance between being mindful and navigating through those motions? At a certain point, it really comes down to kind of what is most important in your life. I think a lot of people, you know, who have their kind of more notable successes talk about focus on usually on one or two things being really important. The more we take on, if if it gets like too many categories, you know, inherently, whether you're, you're being mindful or not, I think you, you get yourself spread thin. It, it can become this feedback loop where, yeah, this greed or desire or, you know, fear of missing out because there's oftentimes so much available and there's just, there's a lot of information that's also like tantalizing. I mean, not on our phones, we have like so many different things available to us all the time that are designed to be hyper stimulating, right? I guess on the flip side, I would say 
if you start to become mindful of the few things that you really care about, I think it's, it's easier to start enjoying them in more and more depth, actually noticing what's even going on in your life. We can race past what's happening in the moment, even the simple things. So I took a look at your website and I found this really cool thing that you're selling, which is called the habit kit. Tell me a little bit more about the inspiration behind this. I didn't know what exactly what it was going to look like. I didn't have, you know, all this in mind. This is a, definitely an evolution and some testing and, and design, but I knew that I wanted to get the kind of the key knowledge about habits, how they work, the mechanics, and then the tools, you know, the methods to actually get that into your life. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of books, right? I've got, you know, a stack of them and I'm picking and choosing from, but I didn't, I didn't think a book was really what I wanted to do here. It, it can help and get that knowledge part, but I wanted to get something into people's hands that would get them doing and repeating. You know, that's how habits form, right? They're formed by doing and, and then repeating in the same context. So I tried to pack as many of these kind of tips, tricks, methods, you know, using you know, evidence-based ideas and research into just a simple kit to get people going. Do you think there's a certain person that could benefit from these habit kits? I think there's two main categories. One of the people who, um, if they didn't start right away, are maybe still planning. And that's the first warning I give people is like, don't, don't wait for the right time. Just make a simple micro habit and, and get going. It could be a 10 second thing, you know? And the other people, those have thankfully been limited. The other people are really jumping in with, actually, this kind of works. It's strangely kind of satisfying to just check this thing off each day. And all of a sudden, I'm, you know, I'm figuring out this is something I maybe do twice a day. So I check the little marks like this. And you know, there's natural creativity to it. The, the first part is really making a very simple plan. Yeah. You, know, you, you think about what, you know, what are you actually motivated to do, why it matters to you. And then you kind of come up with a plan of, of attack that's fairly simple, uses a micro habit to make sure you actually do it. You know, I, ideally, people are unpacking these and able to put them to use quickly because if they go on the shelf, that may be the, the end of it. And they're fairly small. I mean, the, the cards are, you know, fit in your wallet. You can put these on your desk. It's a combination of a, a, like a mini planner and also a tracking calendar. So you can actually see what you're doing. You check it off. Personally, I find checking things off kind of rewarding. There's like a physical element to it, which is a little bit different than doing it on an app, which also exactly. happens to kind of disappear every time you're, you know, in the the white noise of all those apps. And right. yeah, the idea is that you just you have this little kind of tracking unit that you can you can set out and it gives you some confidence as you see the weeks go by. And eventually the months go by, you see yourself building up these habits or breaking a habit, maybe replacing it with another. It's a system to try to support you in the beginning and for as long as you, as you need it. So you can, of course, you can get a subscription and, and have a couple cards sent to you every month or every couple months so that you just keep going. And that's even a reminder. You get them in the mail. Like, oh, right. I wanted to do this come like February or March after like New Year's resolutions have started to fade. I think that'll be a helpful thing for people to... to you know, keep that support up. It seems like habit building is a very personal, very independent process, but do you have any idea as to how this can help us build better relationships with those around us? The more you're mindful 
and maybe grounded or like present with somebody else, you can only draw them more into a conversation by your own actions. The more you're practicing, uh, trying to be a little bit more mindful during your day and the way you interact, you're going to draw people in. These past couple of months have been completely brutal to our world. Um, and we're seeing so many new insights as to ways that we as a society has to change the way we think about governments, businesses, communities. How do habits lead to community impact? The exciting thing about, about working with yourself is that you're never only affecting yourself, right? We're so intensely connected that generally speaking, whenever you're doing something positive for, for yourself or even for, you know, one or two people around you, um, that definitely spreads, um, often in, you know, invisible ways, but I think it's, it's really important to trust in that over time. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like almost like teachers who, you know, years later, some student will come back and they might've been like the most pain in the next student in their class. They might come back and I'd thank them and say, Oh, you, you changed my, my whole trajectory on this thing. You know, you don't get to see that often. Um, and so it just, it reminded me of, uh, an old quote, I think it was Albert Schweitzer, was like, example is not the main thing in influencing others, it's the only thing. Um, I think there's there's some nuance to that in, in terms of, you know, options for influencing people. But if you're talking about having an impact on your community, working on yourself is really where to start. I think that's, we're, we're looking out so much. And, and of course we are, there's so much going on in the news um, flowing through the internet to us through these apps that um, you're right. We're not like oftentimes we're, we're using those things, that, that white noise to kind of attempt to calm our nervous system. Right. Which is a lot of what addiction is. Um, it, it actually, it's, it's really our, our attempts to regulate our own nervous system or, or regulate what's going on. Um, and so yeah, I think doing some simple practices, being a little bit more mindful um, in any way, and that could be just the way you talk to other people, really listening to, to really hear what someone else is saying, um, people feel that, right? And, and ideally, they, they respond a little more often in kind, um, you know, some of the time. By providing effective and actionable mindfulness training to ourselves, we can immediately start applying and repeating methods that create new habits and replace unhelpful habits with tangible results. If every day, each and every one of us can train ourselves to be mindful and tune into our conscious mind, we can make noticeable changes in our community. Thank you guys so much for listening. That wraps up another episode of Serotonin. Once again, my guest today was David Lagner. You can check out his work on habits and get yourself a habit kit at thehabitinstitute.com. The links will be provided in the description. Serotonin is recorded, edited, and produced by myself. Music was provided by Avery Collier. You can find more of her work at soundcloud.com slash Avery Collier. If you like the show, you can find the podcast online at teach.fm, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and iTunes. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast and please be sure to rate it and leave a comment to share what you enjoyed or how I should improve. It helps out a ton. And if you've already done that, thank you so much. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. You can follow the show updates on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or on my personal website, which is also linked. Until next time, this is Korean Thomas, and as always, thanks for tuning in.